It is great to be with you today. Thank you for coming to church today. It's been uh, quite a crazy week here in our lives uh, as part of Silver Creek, and so thank you for being here. We appreciate that very much. I'm going to continue my series called Unknown, and uh, this has been a, a series that I particularly am enjoying. And today I want to talk about the unknown hour. And uh, the the idea, as I think about this this idea of the unknown hour, a lot of times we think about death because death is described as the great unknown because we don't have any experience in that. And five years ago, I was thinking as I was preparing, five years ago, my mom... Um, contracted sepsis, which is, I, I think the, the easiest description is a blood infection or an infection that is in the blood. And we almost lost her. And she, she eventually, after several weeks, she, she kind of snapped out of it and the antibiotics were working and, and she was really starting to recover. And then she had a, a, a real fairly major setback and uh, I remember being in down in the Green Bay area, and it was a, some sort of a recovery facility that she was in, and um, she was uh, doing some rehab, some therapy, and I was going down there for the pep talk, okay? Do you know what I mean? Mom, mom, you got to work hard at this. My mom was a self-described, self-described chicken um, she, she said, I'm not very tough. She would say that throughout her life, and I actually think she was pretty tough, but I call her the velvet hammer. Um, but she, she came out of that therapy that day, and I was going to just, you know, Mom, come on. This, it's time. we got to rally. you gotta, you got to be strong here. you gotta, you got to do this, because I could see the therapy that she was going through, you know, and I, and I could see her struggling to want to really give her her all in it. So I was going to give her the coach's pep talk. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so she comes back into the room, and I'm going to give my, my pep talk. And, and she said this. She said, Kevin, I, I'm too tired to fight anymore. That was, that was shocking. She said, I'm too tired to fight. And I learned later that she had had a dream. And in this dream, the only way she could describe it was a large, elegant wooden train that came into her room. And she said, I knew exactly what it was. And it just, it filled the room. She said it was the heaven train. Now, my mother is not, um, was not prone to exaggerations, um, and um, she, she, was, she was a very straightforward, you know, just, um, you know, I, I always felt like if she said it, I could believe that, that, that it was reality. And she said, I knew that it was there for me, and I knew that I could get on if I wanted to. She said, but I told them 
that I was not ready. Now, when I say ready, I don't mean not ready to meet God, not ready to go to heaven, but I was not yet ready to leave this earth. I, I, I wanted to stay. And um, the first time I heard that description, I actually heard it from my brother, and I didn't share this in the first service, but it was like, it was like a, a hole in a, in a dam, okay? Just think of a hole the size of a silver dollar just instantly getting shot through a dam and the water, just that spray of water coming through. That was my grief. That's the only way I can describe it. I immediately began to grieve because I knew that we were, we were going to lose her. And she uh, went into hospice, and, and I thought we were on a journey that was going to take weeks, if not months. We were prepared to each travel and stay with her for several days in a row, um, and, and our families were supportive of that decision. And so <clears throat> I was actually at the hospital with her when she was put into the, the ambulance to be taken to my brother's to begin hospice. And my, my time um, with her in hospice would begin later that week <clears throat> because I had just been with her for a couple of days in the hospital. And um, what we thought would take weeks, and we prayed that it would not take months, it, in 100 hours she was gone. A hundred hours, she was gone. Um, so this, this, I think about funerals, and I actually, I'll talk about it in a minute. I did a funeral yesterday morning. But when I do funerals, I read from John chapter 14. I want to read that for you. And I want you to keep this in perspective. Uh, because when we think of of the unknown, we think of death, but the unknown hour, I, I, want, I want you to understand there's, there's more to it, and we're going to see this. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 14, starting at verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Isn't that great comfort to hear as a follower of Christ that Jesus is preparing a place for us? That is amazing. You, you know, getting ready for people, getting prepared is hard, okay? It is hard. If, if we're having company, and I've got to get the house ready and help get, get things ready for company. It's hard. It's, it's a lot of work. And our kids, they just want to run and hide, you know, because dad's going to have a list and, and they've got to do stuff. And, you know, um, getting ready is hard. I, I'm, I'm trying to get ready for winter right now. I know that sounds silly, but I have been getting ready for winter for a month. Um, doing things to my house to get it ready for winter. I, I just, it's been, and it's a lot of work. Um, Jesus, imagine the work that he's gone through getting ready for millions of us that will spend eternity in heaven with him. That is, that is amazing to me. But these verses promise us two things. The first one is that Jesus is getting ready for us. But the second promise in the last part 
and we sort of forget this, is that he's coming back for us. He is going to return for us. There are some important promises that Jesus, some important things that Jesus says regarding this promise. I want to look at Matthew chapter 24. It's a a little bit of a lengthy passage there, but if you just follow along and, and we'll absorb it together here. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Today I'd like to talk about three different things that I believe that we should be aware of, that we should know, that we should, we should uh, absorb into our, our thought process about this unknown hour. And the first one is this, that no one knows the hour. Over the past six months, <clears throat> I've, I've had uh, you know, people relay to me conversations or I've even been a part of them where, where people have asked whether fully serious or, or half-joking, but is this the end of the world? And they've asked that question because we are living in a time that there's, there's no one on the face of the earth that can identify through experience ex- what, we've, what we've gone through, you know? Um, you know, if, if this would be somewhere else, okay, I'm sitting in a room and people have masks on, yeah, that might happen in a third world country or, or somewhere else, but it's not going to happen here in America. And so because it, the experience has been so unbelievable, we, we wonder somehow, is this, is this actually the end? But let me tell you that when Jesus returns, okay, which still is not the end of the world, let me stress that. When Jesus returns, it will be a day like no other day that we could ever imagine. And I want to illustrate it by taking you back. We, we remembered 9-11 this past week, uh, a little more than a week ago. And we, we remembered uh, what happened. I, I still remember where I was that day. I was in staff meeting. A staff member stuck their head into that meeting and informed us that uh, the Pentagon had been struck and we turned on the television and we, we saw what was happening. Um, and, um, you know, that, that day was, it was incredible. There were, there were people that witnessed bodies falling from the sky, as it were. Um, 
they were transfixed on the smoking towers after um, the planes had struck them. I remember seeing video footage of people after the towers had fallen and they just came out of what looked like fog, but it was a fine dust of debris. And they were covered. Their faces were covered. Their, their, any exposed skin was covered in this, this dust. And, and they, were, they were just like in a, in a complete daze. And they were just staggering. Um, even if they didn't really have any injuries, they were just staggered by the experience. And people watched as those towers fell to the ground. Almost 3,000 people tragically died. And, and so if, 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 if we knew, okay, that that event was going to happen, what would we do? We, we, would, we would communicate it. We, we, we would take out an ad in the newspaper, don't go to work if you work in the trade center. You know, we need to do whatever, you know, do whatever we can to defend ourselves from this attack. We would communicate it. We would shout it from the housetops. Why? Because this, this is a, a terrible thing that, that would happen. But I want you to imagine millions of people simultaneously being removed from the earth by Jesus' return, because that's what he promises us. And we're going to look at the scriptures to look at that. He, he makes that promise that he's coming back for us. And that event, if, if, if we think that, that COVID is, is, is something you know, dramatic, if we think 9-11 was, and it was, it was tragic, it was, it was very dramatic, but imagine what it will be like when Jesus returns uh, to the earth. And the Bible says that no one knows the day nor the hour of Jesus' return. Not the Son of God, not the Holy Spirit, not the angels, only God. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, it, and this is Jesus speaking, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So the Father God has set the date of Jesus' return. And it's under his authority. It's not under Jesus' authority. It's not under the, the angel's authority. The Father God is the one who said it, and it's under his authority, and he is the only one that knows it. I remember uh, we, were in, we had been in ministry a year, and I went home for a visit, to my hometown in Janesville, and my mom was the, the church secretary. I went to the church to see her that day and just, you know, hung out uh, with her for a little bit. And, and I, we had this conversation, and either she told me about it or she actually had the booklet. But she told me about this booklet called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988. And the guy that wrote it, um, was a, an, an engineer, a rocket engineer for NASA. And um, one of the, the Bible um, distribution you know, companies had, had actually printed uh, 3.2 million copies of this little booklet and sent them to 200,000 churches, you know, um, unrequested um, around the country. And, and that's how I wound up with it. Either I got a copy from my mom that day or, or somehow I was able to get my own copy, but I wanted to check it out. 
And, and this guy said that Jesus was going to return on September 11th through the 13th there in 1988. And you say, well, how in the world did he get you know, um, that date? How did he come up with that? Well, you have to get the book. <laughs> you know, he wants you to see all 88 reasons. But a very simplified version is that in 1948, Israel became a nation, and a generation is 40 years, and the Bible says that that generation will not pass, so therefore, it has to happen by September 11 through 13, 1988. And when the date came and went, he changed the date again, and he went back to October. And it just, I, I, I tried to do a little searching and I couldn't come up with it, but I just feel like a few years ago, there was sort of a resurfacing of the same prediction, the same philosophy a few years ago. Uh, but this guy's not the only one to predict the return of Jesus. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they actually have predicted the return of Jesus eight times, uh, which is one of the reasons, and I, and I say this with, uh, I've not tried to get a back issue of the, the Watchtower, but I've been told that you can't get back issues of the Watchtower from the Jehovah's Witnesses because they, they don't want people to read that they made those predictions and that they did not come true, although I'm sure that they've given reasons why they did not come true. But the Bible says that predict as you will that no one knows the day nor the hour. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I think this is really interesting. This is Paul's response to the issue of, of when, when Jesus will return. He said, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you to you. He said, we don't, we don't even have to bring it up. We don't, we don't, what Paul is saying is that this is so settled in his mind, I don't even need to write it to you. I don't need to tell you anything else. He said, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's a non-issue for Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't add anything. He just says what they already know, that the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night because nobody knows when that will be. So I do want to remind you, though, that just because something does not happen does not mean that everyone has forgotten about it. Our children, when... When they ask us something, can we, can we go for ice cream? And we say, maybe. Okay, to them, that's been etched in stone, and they will ask us every three and a half minutes so that we do not forget. They, they do not believe that we are capable of remembering. God does not have a short memory. Okay, God is not like I am as a dad. When I say, oh yeah, we can do that, and I forget about it. That, that's not God. God has not forgotten that he said that, that he is the only one that knows when the return of Jesus is happening. He's not forgotten about it, and, and he's not going to forget about it. So, but we, we have to realize that, that, you know, nobody knows. And number two, not everyone will be prepared. Jesus describes this lack of preparedness um, in uh, a, a story that he tells. Well, not a story, but, 
but an illustration, but an examples when he says that there'll be two men that are in a field, one will be taken, the other left. There'll be two women that are grinding at a mill, one will be taken and the other one will be left. And the insinuation is that those who are left behind are not prepared. They're not, they're not prepared for the return of the Lord. And it's not about when it happens. It's about that they're not prepared. And so there's obviously, there's, there's a little more that we need to learn. And, and Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 25 about the ten virgins. And the five of those virgins are, are wise and five are foolish. And this is, a, this is a wedding party. Think of it as a wedding party. Um, these, um, these young ladies are friends of the, the bride, okay? And they are part of the wedding party, and they are there to help her celebrate. And they are waiting for the groom to come get them. See, we, we do weddings completely different, okay? Because we send out invitations. They would send a person around, and that person would say, hey, there's going to be a wedding, Okay, just be ready for it because they're going to come by again and they're going to let you know it's time. So you got to get ready. And so they were, they were together and they knew that the, the, the groom was going to come. And when the groom would come, that's when they actually had to be prepared to go to the wedding. So they get this, this, um, this report that, hey, the, the, the groom is actually coming. He's on his way. You know, they even, even as clear as to say that, that he's here, get up, get ready. You got, you got to get your, your, your lamp ready. It was in the middle of the night, the Bible says. And so they got up and they were getting prepared and, and five of the, of the, the wedding party, they, they realized that their lamps had gone out. And so they needed to get their lamps Restarted, but they needed oil. And so they said to the other five who had plenty of oil, they said, hey, can we, can we borrow some of your oil? Because our lamps have gone out. And for whatever reason, it was necessary that they have their lamps. Okay? Now, we understand in the application what this means. Um, but the, 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 the wise virgins said, no, we're not going to loan that to you. And I, I read that and I'm like, well, that's not very nice. Couldn't you just loan them a little bit of oil and this would all be over, you know? But that's not what they said. They, 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 made, they had to go out and find oil to relight their lamps and they came back and they, the, the wedding party had already left because the groom had come and taken them and, and they, were, they were now already at the wedding and these that, that had to go out and get new oil, they, they were left behind. They were not allowed to, into the celebration. So um, the difference between the, the wise and the foolish though is... The, the oil, the, the foolish did not have any oil, the wise had enough oil. And so it's, it's the, the, the fact that the lamps need to, to stay being lit, um, and the, the oil is, is representative of, of faith that remains. It's, it's representative of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why they couldn't loan it to them. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, 
if, if you have, let's say you have a grandma that loves Jesus, okay, and she wants you to follow Jesus, you've still got to accept Jesus. Grandma can't give you her Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? Grandma can't give it to you. You have to have it for yourself. Mom and dad can't give you Jesus. You have to accept Jesus. And so these, these foolish virgins, they wanted to get a little bit of mama's Jesus or grandma's Jesus at the last minute, but that it doesn't work that way. And they found themselves left because they didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Let's look at 1 Timothy Chapter 4, in the first part of, the, of verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith. Now, I know that all ten of those in the wedding party, they all planned on going to the wedding. Okay? They all planned on being there. They just didn't, five of them just were not, were, were not actually prepared. Okay? They had... Uh, abandon their, their faith. And, and I want to make this clear. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No one can come to you and pull you away from Jesus, but I believe that you can, of your own free will, you can abandon your faith. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's going to be those that will be surprised because they're not ready. They're going to say, Oh, God, I did great things in your name. How come? How come I, I didn't get taken? And, and so it will be because they have abandoned their faith. They, they have abandoned their relationship with God. Number three is we need to be ready. Matthew 24 uses the illustration. Jesus talks about home security. Now, I, I didn't say this in the first service, okay, because it was, um, you know, out there for the whole world to see. Um, now, at night, it's a different story, okay? At night, you know... Most of the time, our doors are locked. But like, if if you if you if you um, if you come to my house during the day, you know, and I'm at work and everybody's gone, you know, my house is unlocked. Now, I wouldn't say that, you know, uh, you know, when it's uh, you know online, but I'm gonna say that to you, okay? My house is not locked. Um, there's some nights that I forget to lock the garage, the door that goes out to the garage, you know. I don't, I wouldn't mind if my, if my sliding porch door isn't locked. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to get a ladder and climb up onto the deck to get into it, you know. I, we live in a great place, you know. I, I know people in this church, I won't out them, but, but for like many years, um, they would, they would put their keys to their vehicle in the ashtray and not lock their car ever. Okay, um, and their ought six shells for their deer hunting rifle were also in the ashtray. So maybe that was a little mixed message there. If you're going to break into my car, just remember I've got an ought six. But um, but but we live in a place that's pretty secure. 
Jesus uses this illustration of, of you know, someone breaking in, and you don't know when they're going to break in. So if you did know, you would stay up so that you could foil their attempts to steal your stuff. And, and I, forgive me, but when I read this, I think, do I have anything other than my family, my precious family, that I really care that much about, that I'm going to stay up and lose an entire night's sleep so somebody doesn't steal it. I think I've got insurance that would cover most of it. Um, so, but but I, I totally get it. Um, so stay up all night long, and, and why, the idea is that you don't know. And, and what we've done now is we've developed things like Simply Safe, okay? Have you seen the commercials? For simply safe, the guy with the, the ski mask, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you guys know what his name, his character's name is on the commercial? His name is Robert. Have you thought about that? Rob? Robert? Rob? He's a professional thief? Okay, just wanted to check. The first service, I don't think anybody understood that commercial at all. I was very, very dismayed. ADT, you know, um, how about the, the ring doorbell system? And those things work. The LAPD did a study. Two separate neighborhoods, they installed the, the, the uh, ring doorbell with the video uh, in one neighborhood, and it, they weren't installed in the other. It decreased crime by 50%. Uh, Pastor Ben was telling me about somebody that, uh, you know, they, they were getting their Amazon packages stolen from their porch, and so this guy, uh, he's got way too much time in his hand, and he created a special Amazon package and that when it was opened, something popped up and it, and it shot out glitter. The term was, he used for, was a glitter bomb, okay? And I didn't use that word in the first service because I don't want that to be misinterpreted, like you're, you know, you're approving of a bomb being used. But it was a glitter bomb, and anybody who knows anything about children's church knows that when kids use glitter, it sticks everywhere. You cannot remove it. So... This glitter thing, it just pops up and it just shoots glitter everywhere. And there was some particular spray that went off that was a foul, let's just say a certain body functional odor that was delivered that would make that person smell. And there were, I believe he said there were actually cell phones inside that were recording video and emitting a GPS tracker. And so this person that had been stealing his packages wound up getting caught as a result of that. Well, Jesus uses this, this example, and, and why do we use technology? It's because we don't want to have to stay up all night long. We want 24-hour-a-day surveillance so that my packages, which are set on my porch, this is, I mean, think of the trust that we have still in the year 2020 that we just have packages set on our porch on a daily basis. And believe me, I, my family, it's a daily basis. Okay? Jesus uses this example that, that, um, that we i got to remember where I am, that, that we can be ready, okay, even though something's going to happen at a time when it's going to catch us off guard. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17. Paul says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, 
And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. When I was about 12 years old, I had a a dream, and I can still remember the entire dream. I'm 56. I had a dream that Jesus returned, and I was not taken. I woke up from that dream that I would call a nightmare, but I knew that there was a purpose to it and immediately made sure that I was ready. We can be ready, even though we don't know when it's going to happen, even though there will be people that are not prepared. We can be ready. I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. The hour, yes, it's unknown. Look at Mark 13, verse 33, what Jesus said. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Yesterday, I did a graveside service. And um, there was, I don't know, maybe eight of us standing um, at Park Cemetery around the grave spot, and it was cold and windy, and and I'm just, I'm sharing, and, I, and again, as I always do, I read from John chapter 14. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back to receive you. And I read that promise to them, both, both aspects of it. And we're comforted because we, we, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But we need to be reminded that he's also coming back to get us. And it's a promise. It's not a threat or punishment. A lot of us were like, man, that idea scares me to death. It, for the believers, it's meant as a, a it's, it's a, a promise. We call it the blessed hope. That is our hope. The Bible says that this world is not our home. Even if I live my entire life and I die, they, the, I can say this world is still not my home. I am only passing through because I'm on my way to eternity with Jesus. But it's because I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. Peter said it this way. He said, Don't, you, uh, do not, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So even though no one knows, God still wants all of us to be ready. And today, this message is just It's just a reminder that we need to be ready. And there will be many who are not prepared. And they will come up with all sorts of reasons for what, what, you know, why, how come all these people have, have disappeared from the face of the earth? When in reality, it's only because Jesus has come back and he has taken them to be with himself. But the greatest promise is that we can be ready. We can be prepared. 
I want to pray for you as I close. Father, I thank you for the promises that we have in your word, that, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. <clears throat> and secondly, that he's coming back again one day. Lord, we, we know that this is a, a crazy time that we're living in, but we know that it's, it's not the end. But Jesus, even your return is not the end. There are other things after that in this world. But we know that there's nothing holding back Jesus returning except the fact that the Father is the only one that knows the day or the time, and he's the one that's going to say, okay, Jesus, it's time. So, Father, I pray for any person in this place or for anyone in our early service or those online that, that, that are thinking about this and saying, I, I want to be ready. I pray that they will, they will simply say, God, I desire to be ready for the return of Jesus. So, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. I invite you to be my Savior. I need forgiveness. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. And Father, I believe that when we come to that place, your word says that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we are ready at that moment. And I know, Lord, that we have lots of things that we can continue to grow and, 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 and see our lives transformed to become more like Jesus. And, Lord, we want to live every day ready for Jesus' return. Father, I pray for that one that's debating on that. They're really hanging on that as a thought right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit will really drive that home and that even now they will simply... Pray that prayer, God, I want to be ready. I thank you, Lord, that you, you have compassion on us and you desire that everyone would come to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.